1: as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another unapologetically bold I'm not sorry for, and I am so blessed. Like y'all don't understand how excited I am to have this conversation with the amazing Caroline. And so for the people that don't know anything about you, tell, tell them who is Caroline?
0: I'm Caroline Boudreaux. I'm from South Louisiana. And I, um, I'm the founder of the Miracle Foundation. Um, one day, my friend and I were uh, at happy hour and we just decided, you know, like, I thought we were going to be happy when we were rich. I thought things were supposed to get so much better. I mean, was like, what, what are we doing? And just like our, our life wasn't where we wanted it to be. So we decided that night that we were going to quit our jobs and take a trip around the world for a year and chase summer. So yeah, we went back to her house, spread this world map on the floor and started picking the countries we wanted to see. And she really wanted to go to India because she wanted to meet a child that she had been sponsoring there. And I just said, Chris, oh my gosh, that, what a scam. I mean, there's no way that kid is real, <laughs> you know, really making fun of her. But she, that, she wanted to go to India and meet this little boy. So we planned it in the trip and, and we um, started our trip in January, started working our way, we worked our way up Africa, went to India in May, and met that little boy that she'd been sponsoring in good faith, he was real. We couldn't believe it. And we started doing volunteer work in this village, 119 degrees, hot as it could be. And we'd go to this village every day, and then one day, um, it was Mother's Day in the United States, 21 years ago, May the 14th, changed everything for me, changed my entire life. I got up in the morning, I called my mom, and worked in the village all day with people that I thought were the poorest of the poor and um, then um, went to a local's house for dinner and walked into into his orphanage and came face to face with 110 filthy, bald, hungry-looking, empty-looking children. I was totally unprepared. And we had a beautiful uh, prayer service with them. We had dinner with them. They served us chicken. They served the children rice, no beans, no protein. That's why they were bald. <clears throat> and then after dinner, this little baby girl came and put her head on my knee. This little, like this one-year-old baby girl, precious. She puts her head on my knee, and you know you pick them up, and you just they just push their little bodies into you. And um, I rocked her to sleep. I went to put her in her room, and I, I walk into her room, and I found these these thirty wooden beds, like these. Like these picnic tables, and really, the minute I put the that orphan baby girl, I heard her bones hit that bed, and I just thought, "Where is her mother? That's so powerful, and I think that also lets
1: us beautifully transition into what you're not sorry for, Caroline, so
0: tell the world what you were not sorry for. I'm not sorry for laying an orphan baby on a wooden bed on Mother's Day. How much did it change your life i mean I, I came back with new definitions of gratitude and poverty and love and need and want I came back with all these new definitions and I came back with a purpose and a mission to ensure orphan children reach their full potential because that's what I was given I was given the opportunity to reach my full potential I wasn't just given scraps of food and learn to read, write, arithmetic. No, I was given a college degree. I I was given everything I needed, the love, the attention, the spiritual guidance, the protection, everything. And so the Miracle Foundation was born that day, that Mother's Day, 21 years ago. And uh, we started working in orphanages across India. Uh, We, we, We put an operational manual together, a plan, like how do you improve the standards of care in an orphanage and systematically went into existing orphanages and helped their raise their standard of care. And we did that for 15,000 children in 300 orphanages over the, the first 15 years. That is so amazing. And I love the fact that you didn't create
1: a new orphanage. You actually went in and did the work. And, and to see the processes, because that's one thing that's very important that I've seen is that the processes sometimes are just negated and we we create our little silos. So and I know the first time when we talked, like you're on a mission and you you have worked with people around the world um, on this. So what are some of the biggest like insights that you want to tell people and let them know
0: about? what you're no longer apologizing for. I think the biggest thing is what you just said is not creating anything new. Instead of building your own orphanage or creating your own nonprofit, find a nonprofit that's doing what you want to do and get behind them and push. That's the best advice I can give. So that's what we did. We went, we found existing orphanages. And, you know, I used to be in television and I was in sales. And I would go to franchises because I would talk to one person and they'd own 40 Taco Bells. And so I'd get these big, you know, one person and they'd have all these stores. And so that's what I started realizing when we were going into orphanages. Like, where are the processes? They all need exactly the same things. Why are they running ad hoc? Why aren't they all running the same way? Let's get a a business plan together and just roll it out. And so that's what we did. We built a franchise methodology in these orphanages and, and really, really started helping them all. So didn't build our own just went in and started supporting the people that were already doing the work on the ground. But what was interesting was in 2016 I went on a listening tour and I just went to orphanage after orphanage after orphanage and really started listening to the children and what I found was that as great as these institutions were, we were working with some of the best institutions really in the world, they wanted to go home. They didn't want to look they didn't they wanted to look like everybody else. They wanted they wanted to feel like an individual instead of you know like a group and they had a grandmother or an aunt or a cousin or a big sister that they knew they could go home to that they would be safe with and so we changed our model in 2017 and our our mission is a family for every child in our lifetime so our goal is really to empty orphanages our goal is to have an orphanage free world by 2040 mm-hmm.
1: that's so powerful and I know you think we can do it.
0: Oh, there's no doubt we can do it. This is actually a solvable problem. And, and it's a it's an upstream problem. We're going to solve so many problems down the line if we can get to the children when they're children.
1: This, this is what I tell my kids. My kids even can repeat this after me whenever I get onto them. Little kid problems are little problems. Big kid problems are big problems. And so, and they hate when I say that, but it's the fact that when it's at a child, they, they still are malleable. It's still being able to grow them. But like even the work that I do, it's big kid problems and they're big and they're deep and they're just hardcore in. So what are some of the things that y'all have done? I know that you have went to um, some of the big country leaders in the world um, to have conversations and people back this. So talk about
0: that for a minute. That's the secret to the future. The only thing that solves problems anymore is like-minded actors acting. So we have partnered with 256 other organizations and we went and talked to the United Nations and asked them to prioritize families. 2019, the United Nations did ratify that, that children belong in families and they should be prioritized. That's how I know that we can end this orphanage system.
1: Mm. that's so powerful. and. So, what are you seeing with people coming back? Because the one argument I may hear on the other side is like, "What if their families aren't ready to even receive them?" Like, how are you growing the love and the and the try? I feel like there has to be some form of love and training and such. Um, and like, totally. So what what are some of the things? Because I even told you before this, like what we had talked about is a friend. somebody that wants to start an orphanage in india and you're like no don't let me talk to them like don't do that and so talk about that for a minute like what are some of the things that we might be needing to change up in our mindset tell people please don't
0: please don't build an orphanage because if you build a good one Families are going to look at that orphanage and think, "Wow, I could never provide that kind of food for my child. I could never provide that kind of education. I'm not going to be able to afford Wi-Fi and computers. So I'm going to separate from my child and let them go to an orphanage, um, so that they can have those those things." And people go where the money is. So if we can direct money so that families can stay together. Put the money back to the families, really specifically mothers. It's single mothers that are that are raising the kids. That's who ends up in orphanages. Is is women with with um, without a without a husband, and so if we can support those women, they can stay with their children, and that's what we want to do. That's what the kids want. And then you asked about building this trust. Children are the ones that decide. They know. How how old are your kids? Mine are ten and seven. Yeah. So your seven year old. If I asked your seven year old. Who could you live with? You can't live with your mom for a month or two, or you know, you can't live with your mom right now. Who could you live with that would take care of you? I bet you anything your seven-year-old would know. Yeah, she would. She would know. She would know who she could live with and who she would be safe with. And that's a big part of what we do is we talk to the children. We talk to the children and they tell us who they want to go home with. And then we talk to that person. The other thing we do is we talk to the child about who they want to call if there's a problem. So I could ask your seven-year-old, if there's any kind of problem, let's say she chooses your mother. I know you want to go live with your grandmother. If there's any problem, who would you call? She would know. She would have She would have a person in her head that she would like to call if there's a problem. So then what you do is you call that person and say, she would like to call you if there's any problem. Are you good with that? I mean, 99% of the time, they're so good with that. They're so honored. They can't believe that they've been chosen to be that first call. And then what they do is they end up partnering with the person that she's that she's chosen um and and they kind of create this kind of community of support around this child. They're not going to wait for that phone call in other words. They're going to go make sure that kid's okay.
1: That's so powerful and the fact that I always joke like you know I was a single mom and my listeners know this as well, but like it really takes a village to raise a child and understanding that that amount of support made all the difference in my life and I can also see why single moms would want in the theory of that you're giving the kid better but still they're they're missing that love of a mother which is very foundational i know is
0: it better is it really better That's the question yeah it's, it's really not better kids need love they need attention they need affection they need individual attention they need to be called out for who they are what makes them special and unique when they get sick you know what happens when your kid gets sick she ends up in your bed she, you end up giving her special meals. You might, you know, you know, take care. Of, she gets to watch something special. You know, when a kid in an orphanage gets sick, they go to their dorm room and they sit by themselves. I mean, th- these are, these are things that make you not feel very important. Foundationally
1: too. It makes me think of the physiology that happens is that they are actually missing out on touch and which is oxytocin literally why why our contractions suck as moms so bad is that it is a release of oxytocin so that we can have love at first sight. So even the the interesting aspect with them out have, not having the touch, their coping mechanisms that they're having to make up for, the ways that they're having to find survival instead of actually being able to thrive. Um, talk to me about that, like how important it is for people to understand like what orphan children go through, but then seeing the hope
0: that can come like with what the miracle foundation is doing well there's three things that miracle foundation does we we want a family for every child in our lifetime that's our goal so there's three things that we do we transition children from orphanages into families that's so critical we've done that thousands of times it's great for children we do create that system around them and and everybody wins it's also sustainable so if a kid is in an orphanage you have to pay for that child over and over and over again. If you get them with an adult that can work, get in the family and they're stable, our work is done. So it's a sustainable way to solve to solve a problem. The second thing we do is we prevent children from entering the system in the first place. We could argue the minute a child enters the system, the foster care system, the orphanage system, the damage is done. Once they're separated from their families, damage is done. So we have to prevent children from entering the system in the first place. And the way we do that is we train social workers. We help, we help social workers say, instead of rescuing a child out of their family, what can we do to support this family to stay together? How do we keep a family together instead of how do we protect a kid from their own family? The And then the third thing we do is we connect the U S foster system. So foster families, 60% of them, quit within the first year. That creates this huge churn. It also creates children bouncing from family to family to family. And so we're connecting the foster system so that families, foster families can get the resources that they need easily on an app so that they can not quit within that first year. So those are the three things we're doing. And the benefit to the children is it's a solvable problem. It makes it so that they get the stability and permanency that they long for. In the United States, we went from orphanage system because we used to have orphanages in the United States to foster care. Globally, they're going from they're going from the orphanage system to kinship care. This is way better. This is they're going to go with their family. This is way better than fosters, because what happens in the foster system is we're putting, you know, introverts in extroverted homes. We're putting athletes in musicians. homes. We're not thinking about chemistry. We're just saying here, kid. Go live with this family that doesn't look like you, doesn't smell like you, doesn't laugh like you, doesn't, you know, they're nothing like you. Good luck with that. As opposed to being with their kin, with people that do look like them and sound like them and laugh like them and have the same sense of humor as them. And so, so the kinship, kinship care is the name of the game. I've never heard of that, but I could see that.
1: And it makes me think of um, one of my friends was in foster care and went from home to home and to home. And he had to go through a lot of mental counseling because he said that they were great for him, but it was he was a white male that went to live with an all black family. And it was just how awkward he felt because he was the only white person around. And it just was he didn't he tried, but he it was just this difference. And then he got pulled back because his family member finally got um, access to him and was allowed to take him. And so how that has happened like and he loved and he was very grateful for the opportunity that he was given but he was also pulled to live hundreds of miles away from his all of his family and he's just a child so he doesn't know what's happening he doesn't know his mother's sick he doesn't know he just knows that he can't see her anymore now he's going with these people that don't look or act or like you said Um, so I can actually, in my experience or the small experiences that I have, but that is something too, that me and even my husband have talked about, about fostering, like that would be so hard. Like, uh, because in the people that I've talked to that foster, I'm like, you got this like unique gift from God that I wish I had, but I could see I, I, I'm easily somebody's godparent. I'm actually a few people's god godparent. So, but that's a different, you know, like it shouldn't be in theory, but it still is. So talk about that, how that, how it plays different. Like I can see it, but just talk about it a little bit more.
0: Well, like I said, you know, there's a lot of chemistry that goes on. You know, when 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 your friend lived with the family, you know, it wasn't just him that felt awkward. I mean, he everywhere he went, he, people knew by looking at him that he didn't belong there. So the whole wide world knows that they don't belong there. So it makes them feel different. It makes them feel awkward. and It's just, it's just too much for a child. The separation in the first place is the damage. And then the average foster kid in the United States bounces seven times, seven times. I mean, this is after they leave their family of origin. So really, Why are we not trying to keep these families together, if at all possible? Can we keep these families together instead of relying on people that are not their relatives? That would be that would be the ideal. I know it's not going to happen every time, but if we happen 80 percent, the old 80-20 rule, if that could happen 80 percent of the time, imagine, imagine the traction we could have. Imagine these children. There's there's eight million children that live in institutions worldwide and there's 440,000 children in the United States. Foster your system, and not one of them want to be there. That's a fact. Not one of them want to be there. Like, not one of them want to be there. Mm-hmm. And who's listening to them? Who's talking to them? Are we asking them? Are we giving them a choice? So I would love just to to finish this out. What would you
1: say? Well, like to people that hear you say that you're not sorry for laying an orphan child on a wooden bed. Like, talk about that for a minute about how you found your purpose in a moment and how much it has impacted your life in the work that you do.
0: It changed everything to have a purpose and a mission. And when, when I say, I'm not sorry, I put this child on, you know, this this baby on a, on a wooden bed. What I mean is it, it was an aha moment for me to reach out and start helping other people. Mm -hmm. That's what I would like your listeners to take out from this conversation. I want to, I want to give your listeners three ways to really, truly make a difference. Uh, you know, number one is get involved with a nonprofit, you, you know, your time, your talent, your treasure, powerful, Get in, get in, involved with a nonprofit that's focusing on one of two things. They're focusing on people at the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid, or they're focusing on the planet. Those two things need our attention more desperately than anything else right now. Th- those things are on fire. So number one, get involved with the nonprofit that's focusing on the people at the bottom of the pure, of the, uh, financial spectrum and the planet. Number two, do it now because it's urgent. Number three, give long-term, give long-term, you know, make a commitment, make a big commitment and just stick with it. These things take time. It takes forever to fill up a lake. You know, we, we, these people, they want, there's so many people, they want these monthly reports or quarterly reports. Like, we're filling up a lake here. We're, we're growing a tree here. You know, I can't give you a quarterly report. That's so
1: true. So for the everybody that's listening in, I just want to say thank you so much, Caroline, for joining me today. It has been such a blessing to have you on and just to to grow and learn. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about the Miracle Foundation and more about what you do? How can they reach out to you? MiracleFoundation.org.
0: We're easy to find. Yeah. MiracleFoundation.org. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook and we we we'd love all the help we can get. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for all that have listened in. I hope you have an amazing and blessed day.